Good evening, everybody. This is Talking Sports with Evan. I am your host, Evan Wittalison. I want to thank you all for watching uh, this episode of Talking Sports with Evan. Uh, lots to go over today. Going to be talking Super Bowl. Um, Super Bowl is Sunday. Bengals versus the Rams. Who's going to win and why? Milwaukee Bucks making some moves today. Uh, trading for, uh, Dante uh, DiVincenzo. Four-player trade for uh, a four-team trade. And they get Urbach uh, uh, from uh, from the Clippers involved in that trade. Going to be talking about the NFL coaching hiring. The all the jobs are now filled. I'm going to give my thoughts on where things go. Look right now on who was correct and success. Who uh, on paper made the right choices and who needed work. And also we're joined by Jesse Temper Temple. I spoke with Jesse Temple of the Athletic earlier today. And I'm going to play that interview for you as well and hope you all enjoy the show. If you have any questions, you can follow me on Twitter at Evan with Sports on Facebook, Talking Sports with Evan. Or you can comment um, on the on the live post and they will show up uh, throughout the show. But with that said, I am going to jump over to the interview I did earlier this today with Jesse Temple of The Athletic. And we talked about the Wisconsin Badger recruiting cycle that just ended. Should we be concerned? Should we not be concerned uh, with uh, going from third in the Big Ten to 11th? So we, we talked a little bit about that as well. So here we are is Jesse Temple of The Athletic, who I spoke to earlier today. By writer, covers the Wisconsin Badger football and basketball team, uh, Jesse Temple. And first of all, I appreciate you coming on and joining me for a few minutes to talk some Badger football. Thanks for having me on, Evan. I appreciate it. Yeah. So before we do jump into it, uh, if you just want to let people know where they can find your work, I know I mentioned athletic, but just kind of let them know where they can find everything, you know, the work and stuff that you do and how to follow you on your social if you want that. Sure. Just go to theathletic.com. There's a Badgers tab and that's pretty easy. Uh, it's, a, <laughs> it's a subscription service. So you've got yeah. to pay to read it, the content, but uh, I'm biased, but I think it's, <laughs> uh, it's worth, it's worthwhile. So if you haven't heard of The Athletic, I uh, certainly encourage you to check it out. And as an unbiased um, person here, I strongly encourage it as well, because I'm a subscriber to it and I enjoy all your work. And then the other uh, Wisconsin sports writers and football, like uh, Schneidman, Eric name and so forth. I enjoy all their work as well. So it's definitely worth it. Uh, if you go to the athletic and then, you know, you look at the, uh, your Twitter account, if they want to catch you is at Jesse temple. That's correct. Cool. So I wanted to bring you on. We just had our national letter of intent day. Um, February 2nd, I believe was the, the actual date where, uh, there's a date where, the football players officially had to sign. I know there's an early signing cycle as well, but with the Badgers recruiting class, and I know there's some concerns with some fans with them going, um, I think they were third last year in the big 10, 16th in the country to 11th and 44th or 45th in the country. And it's kind of a smaller class too. So I guess the first question I would have for you, because I know they did lose the recruiting coordinator to Michigan State um, earlier in the year. And I guess my question is, is that something for fans to be concerned with? Not yet, I would say. 
Uh, certainly this class from a rankings perspective doesn't match what the Badgers were able to do the last three years. They set records in the online ranking era in 2019, 2020, and 2021 with a lot more four-star prospects. But as you said, it's a little bit smaller class. There are 15 signees in this recruiting class. And I, I, I wrote a column about this because I think one of the reasons Badgers fans are less than thrilled with this class is because of the number of four-star in-state players that got outside the state. Originally, there was a this so-called Super Six with six four-star prospects in the 2022 class. And way back when, about two years ago, when those rankings came out, Badgers fans dared to dream, can we get all six? And Wisconsin wound up with three of them. One of them, Braylon Allen, reclassified into the 2021 class and obviously had a sensational freshman year. Wisconsin wound up getting Joe Brunner, offensive lineman, and Isaac Ham, the best defensive lineman from the state, but they lost Jerry Cross, a tight end to Penn State. He was never really interested in Wisconsin. I think one of the reasons Badgers fans are concerned is because they lost Billy Shrouth and Carson Hinsman, a couple of four-star in-state offensive linemen. Hinsman signed with Ohio State. Shrouth went to Notre Dame. And a big part of the column that I wrote, especially in relation to this recruiting class, is the while every program in the country had to deal with COVID and, and restrictions in terms of in-person visits, there was basically a 15-month hold on that until the NCAA dead period ended in June. Uh, Wisconsin was, I think, more affected than some other programs, particularly when it comes to those in-state guys, because I asked Paul Christ about this in December, and he said it essentially became like recruiting an out-of-state player. The the Where Wisconsin has an advantage is getting these guys on campus very early. They excel in identifying fit early so like even sophomore year getting them on campus getting them around the players and that's one of the reasons that they're able to win out with some other programs come in later and they didn't have it for 15 months so I think that that is certainly plays a factor in what happened with the in-state recruiting and even the outside the state recruiting when's a great time to come to Madison it's in the summer it's for games and they couldn't do it until June and by that time it's a little later in the cycle Um, overall though yeah, there's a lot going on with the recruiting department. They, they, Saeed Khalif, the, the director of player personnel, left last summer. Wisconsin, as of now, has not filled the recruiting position. But I do know that Chris is in the midst of putting that together. And it may well be done, but we've yet to hear an announcement. So if you're still waiting on that, I imagine we'll hear something in the next couple of weeks. Okay. And I do want to talk about Chris and the coaching staff, too, in a little bit. But I want to cycle back to the the two that got, I guess the three that got away, one you said Kraus across and never really had any interest coming to Wisconsin. Um, the two offensive linemen, obviously you mentioned COVID had it played a role in it too, but Wisconsin traditionally always recruits offensive line very well. And they have another, I think last year they had a strong offensive line class and it seems to be that they're pretty deep in that position. Um, does that kind of play a role on why those two decided to go elsewhere? just because maybe they get a chance to compete sooner? Uh, I wouldn't necessarily say compete sooner. Shrouth is going to Notre Dame and Hinsman yeah. is going to Ohio State. That's pretty much the best of the best. If there is cause for concern, and I mentioned this in the column that I wrote as well, I think it's when you have some of these guys leaving the state, and maybe it really only is for that top-tier talent, which doesn't come around every year. For example, the 2023 class doesn't have any of those kinds of guys. Wisconsin hasn't even offered anyone from inside the state as we're having this discussion. But with 2022, those guys talked about going somewhere where they could 
win a national championship. And, and Shrouth made it very clear with a reporter from Rivals.com about he didn't want to come to a place like Wisconsin and how he put it, play for peaches. I don't necessarily know what that means, but his reference was he wants to go to Notre Dame where he can compete for a national championship. And, you know, he's not wrong in terms of Notre Dame has been to the college football playoff twice. Ohio State won the inaugural college football playoff back in 2014, has been there multiple times, and Wisconsin hasn't got there yet. Now, until we get to a point where uh, more in-state recruits uh, feel that way, I don't think it's necessarily going to be a problem. Um, so I don't think it was playing time with those two guys. I think it was more about fit. And, I, you know, I don't know what would have happened if they would have had those 15 months to visit Wisconsin. I do know that Shrouth never had an opportunity to visit campus until his official visit in June. And from what I heard was strongly considering Wisconsin after that point and ultimately did pick Notre Dame. So uh, there were a lot of factors at play. Yeah. And I, you know, and I get that they are the, you know, cream of the crop, Notre Dame and Ohio state. Um, So obviously those are two places you do want to go, especially if you don't want to, you know, as the one mentioned play for peaches. Um, So I do understand that. I just, as I mentioned, I know they've been recruiting pretty heavy offensive line recently. And people, you know, you see a lot of, a lot of one position. Sometimes you want to go try elsewhere. And do you think the um, transfer portal might play anything in regards to players leaving state? Um, Cause I saw that thrown out. I forget exactly where I read it, but um, you know, these guys, if they go someplace out of state, and it's probably this way for any team, um, uh, any state, they go someplace out of state, they can always decide to enter the portal and come back, you know, down the road, potentially. You think that might play a role in recruiting moving forward? Um, I really don't for guys, since we're addressing in-state guys leaving the state, I, I really don't think that that is an issue. No one's leaving thinking that they're going to come back. To your point, though, on the the talent in the offensive line room, I, I didn't address that in the last question, but you're absolutely right. The Badgers in the last recruiting class, it was as good of a haul as you could get. They got Nolan Rucci, a five-star prospect, the number one player in Pennsylvania. They got Riley Malman, a four-star prospect, the number one player in Minnesota. And they got J.P. Benchwall, a four-star prospect, the number one player in Wisconsin. Overall, if you look at the the roster of the offensive linemen, I believe there's eight, four, or five-star players there. So it would have been fantastic for Wisconsin to get a Shrouth or a Hinsman. You could have put those guys on the interior, which I think is an area that Wisconsin can always get better in. A lot of the guys that they brought in are, are more tackle builds. And when Joe Rudolph was here, he liked to train uh, multiple positions. So you'll have a guy like Jack Nelson, who is a tackle play right guard last season. But I think Wisconsin ultimately will be fine with its offensive line because of how much talent there is. Now I'm interested to see what happens now that Rudolph is gone and at Virginia Tech with Bob Bostead coming in. He's an excellent recruiter, but what what will his philosophy be when it comes to recruiting? What types of players will he like? I think he did pretty darn well when he was the O-line coach at Wisconsin from 2008 to 2011. But I don't think the transfer portal in that sense will play a big role. I think it'll play a big role in what we've seen with guys leaving in the middle of the year, which we saw a bunch of. There were four players on Wisconsin who left during a 10-day stretch at midseason. And the fact that the Badgers have brought in five guys from the transfer portal, three of which are cornerbacks. So that's where I think there will be more of an impact with the portal. Okay. And before we jump to the transfer portal, guys, just the 15-player um, class 
Um, you have, uh, you know, Neil, you know, Nelson, Vaughn, Lyde, Burkett, uh, Jones, uh, Brunner, Ham, Brown, Anthony, you know, just name a few. Um, out of those guys, do you see anybody having an immediate impact on uh, the 2022 Wisconsin Badgers? Well, that's a good question. Um, I think there are a couple who have the potential to have an immediate impact. One who stands out to me is Tommy McIntosh. He's a six foot five wide receiver from Detroit. I just really like his game. Sometimes you can tell uh, how talented a player is in high school and the positional need that Wisconsin has. There's a lot of transition, obviously, in the wide receiver room. And I know that the Badgers went out and got Keontes uh, Lewis from UCLA, one of the transfer portal additions. But I just think he's got he's a long strider. He can be a deep ball threat now. How quickly will a true freshman adapt and learn the system at wide receiver? I don't know, but I think he's one. And then Austin Brown is a safety who's a multi-sport athlete in high school. Um, They don't have a ton of safety bodies, particularly on scholarship. I think there's like five or six. Obviously, they've got Hunter Wohler and John Torchio and Travion Blaylock. Those will be the top three. But I do wonder whether a, a freshman like Brown can come in and contribute. It's really hard to project a lot of these other guys. I think there is... One of the things Wisconsin does well is there is some underrated talent here, and you might not necessarily hear their name this year, but someone like a Cade Giacomelli or a JT Greaves, for example, he's an in-state tight end. He blew tight ends coach Mickey Turner away at the, at the summer camp that he attended. He was so good, he basically became their number one tight end and had numbers that they'd never seen before. I'm not saying he's going to come in and be Jake Ferguson in year one, but I do think there are players like that will be major contributors down the road. Yeah, and one guy I do want to ask about, just because of the lightning rod grab Mertz has become, um, I, I'm i not ready just to totally give up on him. I think there's still some stuff there to try to develop and work on, especially now with the new offensive coordinator coming in. But freshman out of Franklin, uh, Miles uh, Burkett, I know he's a little undersized. Um, I know, I think I read in the write-up you wrote about him or might have been somewhere else that um, he wasn't being recruited to one of the schools because they didn't think he could play in the conference, especially a quarterback. Is he someone that probably needs to sit and develop uh, this year and next, or is he somebody that could possibly push uh, Merch right away? Well, I read a story about him a couple of weeks ago and had a chance to talk to him right before he enrolled. He's one of the six early enrollees, which is certainly very important, especially at the quarterback position, to acclimate to college, learn the playbook, and get those 15 spring practices. And he's got no fear. He's coming in to compete for the job. He said all the right things. He's an incredible competitor. He led Franklin to an undefeated season and a state championship this past year. And he completed more than 70% of your, his passes, which you never see at the high school level. You're right that uh, Tim Polisek, who was an O-line coach for Iowa, is no longer there anymore. He's at Wyoming, but he recruited Wisconsin heavily. He told, uh, and this is from conversations with um, Burkett and his family, when Miles visited Iowa, he basically told him, we don't think you're a Big Ten quarterback, and Miles certainly hasn't forgotten that and put put something out on Twitter about it after Wisconsin beat Iowa last <laughs> season. Um, but will he be – will he compete for with Graham in the first year? I, no, I don't see it. I, I'm – certainly not diminishing his talent and what he can be down the road. But you have to remember, Wisconsin hasn't had a true freshman starting quarterback since Jay Macias, and that was like over 30 years ago. 
not even Graham Mertz obviously started when he was a true freshman. It was the Jack Cohn show and we only saw Graham for a couple of games. Wisconsin hasn't added a, a quarterback from the transfer portal for all that Caleb Williams talk that lasted forever and amounted to absolutely nothing. Um, this is Graham Mertz's show. There is no one on the roster right now as it's currently constructed that can challenge him for the starting quarterback role. Chase Wolf is the backup. We've seen him in a handful of games and he is a backup for a reason. Um, you've got to be able to trust your quarterback with the football. And I believe he's thrown like four interceptions and he's only thrown 25 career passes, something like that. And then you've got Deacon Hill. who has got a massive arm. I wrote about him in December when I had a chance to talk to him, he really impressed people, but he was on the scout team all of last year. So those are your top three. And then Miles Burkett will have a chance as well. I imagine he'll probably be the scout team quarterback. This is Graham Mertz's show. And I know that people are disappointed with the overall numbers and the performance the first two years, the debut that he had as a starter against Illinois, notwithstanding, but I do think he's going to continue to get better. My biggest question is who's he going to throw to and what does that wide receiver room look like? Cause there was a lot of turnover and Chim Ray DK is the only wide receiver on the roster who has caught more than three passes in his college career. Yeah, I know it's definitely a thin room and Allen uh, came on strong. I think Rutgers, he had a catch or two. And then in the bowl game, is he somebody that you see taking that that jump to? I think part of it probably by having not having a choice because how the room is. But is he someone you see taking that jump to contribute heavily at that wide receiver position? Yeah, he absolutely is. Um, you know, when you asked me the question earlier about what true freshman I think can come in and compete and contribute, when I was asked that question a year ago, he was one of those guys that I thought would be like that and like McIntosh he was a big play threat at his high school in Ohio when there was a need in a close game for a home run hit it went to him and more often than not he made the play I actually thought he he might wind up having an even bigger role than he did this past season but I think he is well positioned to not only break the two break into the two deep but maybe even be a starter we'll have to see how spring practice goes I thought what Skyler Bell showed during the bowl game um, was encouraging, was another freshman who came in in that same class with with uh, Allen. And then I do wonder what Keontes Lewis is going to look like, the transfer from UCLA. I believe he played in 11 games for the Bruins last season, didn't get any catches because he was mostly used as a blocker, which is something you have to do well at Wisconsin. But I imagine those will be among the contenders uh, in the two deep this season at wide receiver. So there's a lot of talent, but it's largely unproven outside of Chamray DK. And before we jump to the hiring of uh, the uh, Ingram, you had mentioned the transfer portal guys that got. Are you surprised with the you know the five you know five transfer guys they brought in? Because I don't really ever recall the Badgers being too active in in transfers, um, and they brought five in this year. Well, I think it's a much different game now with the transfer portal. I think Wisconsin is probably starting to better understand uh, the needs and wants. But also, as I mentioned before, they lost a ton of guys in the middle of the season uh, from the portal. So you've got to replace that. And there were a lot of changes. If you look at so they've, they've got five players that they've got coming in out of the transfer portal that have just happened in the last handful of months. Three of them are cornerbacks. Uh, Cedric Dort from Kentucky, Jay Shaw from UCLA, which is a pretty big pickup for the Badgers, and Justin Clark, who's going to be a seventh-year senior from Toledo. All three of those players just have one year of eligibility remaining, so it's pretty clear that cornerbacks coach Hank Poteet felt like uh, there needed to be a stopgap here 
uh, after you lose Caesar Williams and Fayon Hicks, your two starters. And Dean Ingram, who was the top slot corner, is moving over to wide receiver. So those are three very important pieces from last season that you're not going to have. I don't know whether the move with Ingram uh, has to do with them bringing these three guys in, but those three guys I expect to be uh, veteran leaders for that room, even though they've only got one year of eligibility remaining. And the other two they brought in, certainly Aldis Whitted in the wide receiver room felt like they needed more, um, which I don't disagree with at all after you lose Danny Davis and Kendrick Pryor. So they've got Keontes Lewis, and they added a kicker. I actually think he's one of the more interesting stories among these transfer guys. Vito Calvaruso was the starting place kicker for Arkansas for the last two years, but he wasn't going to be able to compete for the the place-kicking job to be the field goal kicker because they brought in a freshman who was an all-SEC player. And I think he's going to have an opportunity to do that, certainly if not this year, um, because Colin Larsh is coming back, then he could be your kicker of the future. So another name to watch is Vito Calvaruso. Yeah, and then finally, I want to bring in uh, Bobby Ingram, uh, the new offensive coordinator. I know there's confusion, too, in exactly what his role in the offense is going to be. Um, is he going to call plays? Um, and I saw some fans on social when Caleb Williams ended up signing with UC, uh, USC that it's already a bad hire because, you know, Williams didn't come with Ingram, which I never, I never felt was a package deal. I think it may be... If anything, made Caleb go, hmm, but he was going to USC no matter what. But what are your thoughts on Bobby Ingram, and have uh, what do you think he offers to the Wisconsin program? Well, so I wrote about this after he was hired, and, and the big thing for me is it was clear after the season that Paul Chris needed to make some changes offensively because he had so much on his plate, and Wisconsin wasn't effective enough on offense this past season. Obviously, he retook the play-calling duties from Joe Rudolph this past season. He also added being the quarterback's coach to his plate because John Budmeyer left to become offensive coordinator at Colorado State. And by the way, he's still the head coach. So while he was successful a decade ago in those two roles as quarterback's coach and offensive coordinator, he didn't have to be the head coach. I think he had too much on his plate. And bringing in Bobby Ingram is smart. First of all, when you lose Rudolph to Virginia Tech, it allowed Chris to bring someone in as a 10th assistant coach and not have to fire anybody, which he had yet to do during his tenure as the head coach here. So it it made it almost a layup to go do something. But in bringing him in Ingram, I think this was right for a couple of reasons. He had to bring in somebody that he could trust and that he was familiar with to hand over, if not the full reins to the offense, to at least be willing to listen to what Ingram has to say. Ingram spent two years as the receivers coach at at the University of Pittsburgh, when Paul Christ was the head coach there before he came back to Wisconsin. So there was some familiarity there at the same time. He's been an assistant coach with the Baltimore Ravens for the past eight years as a tight ends coach and a wide receivers coach. So even though there's familiarity with Christ, he brings a fresh perspective and new ideas having been in the NFL with the Ravens for the last eight years. Now, what will his responsibilities be and what will it look like? I have no idea. He had an introductory press conference with reporters last week, and I asked him those questions, and there are some stuff that he can't say yet because the the staff hasn't really been finalized. Um, certainly, you know, running backs coach Gary Brown has been dealing with health, health issues. He wasn't able to make the Las Vegas Bowl. Don't necessarily know exactly where things stand right now, but I do expect Paul Chris will 
um, share details, certainly by the time spring practice happens, but in the next few weeks of what the coaching staff looks like, because I expect Bobby Ingram to coach a position and you, you don't see very many people who come in and are just an offensive coordinator. Um, he said the play calling duties and, and what that will look like will be a collaborative effort. I wouldn't be surprised if Paul is still the one calling plays, but Bobby is perhaps, you know, offering input in his ear or designing schemes or formations or whatever it looks like. I think this was the the right move to make, even though Ingram hasn't been an offensive coordinator in his career. Now, will it work out? Hey, that's what the coming seasons are for. So last question. Um, mostly this has been football, but I do want to quickly jump uh, with basketball, Johnny Davis, uh, Badgers clearly exceeding expectations. I believe they were picked to finish 10th in the preseason rankings for the Big Ten. Um, obviously, they've surprised. Johnny Davis has been one of the top players in the country, even with, uh, a, I guess, a couple games slump uh, not too long ago. Where do you see the ceiling being for this year's Badger team? Is it Sweet 16? Is it beyond that? Is it opening weekend? Like, where do you see their ceiling? I think the ceiling is final four for this team. I'm not sitting here saying in February that they're going to go there, but look at the resume they've built. They are one of the top teams in the country. They've played extraordinarily well. They've got victories on the road uh, against Purdue, a Purdue team that has just one loss at home all season, and it was to Wisconsin. Teams don't go in, let alone Wisconsin teams, and win there. Johnny Davis put up 37 there. He was magical. He was national player of the year player in that game they beat Houston at a neutral court site earlier this year and it turns out Houston was pretty darn good Badgers are fighting for first place in the Big Ten and another thing that Wisconsin has done well you can call this luck but I do think the more games like this add up the more it shows that there's a grittiness and a toughness to Wisconsin to execute is the record in close games Wisconsin is 11 and one in close games which are six points or fewer or overtime games some of that has to do with maybe beating bad teams closely or letting leads slip up but it also has something to do with in clutch moments in against good opponents, them winning games. And I think having that ability is going to be crucial when it comes to the NCAA tournament, because there's bound to be at least one game where you're not at your best. Wisconsin has found a way to win. They found a way to win when the Badgers don't shoot well from three point range for the most part. And you've got the best player on the floor a lot of nights. So to me, I think if you're a Badgers fan, there's reason to dream big, but the NCAA tournament is, it can be very cruel. You can have what you think is the better team and have one off night, and that's that. So it's been a, a pretty amazing to see what Wisconsin has done this year and the leap that Johnny has made. And I think with him, they could be playing on the last weekend uh, of the college basketball season. And that's definitely something I hope to see. Um, been a big Badger fan growing up in Madison. Uh, always been a big Badger fan and would definitely love to see them back in the final four. So thank you so much for spending some time here with me uh, today and uh, appreciate. And there you have it. That was Jesse Temple of the athletic who was kind enough to spend some time with me uh, this afternoon uh, to talk some Badger football, talk some uh, Badger basketball a little bit. So just to kind of summarize what Jesse Temple just talked about is if you're a Badger football fan, don't worry too much about the recruiting class this year. Yes, they were 11th in the Big Ten, but it was more about quantity rather than quality. It's a quality recruiting class, but it doesn't have a lot of qu uh, quantity. It doesn't have a lot of uh, a lot of players uh, on the team. It wasn't as big of a recruiting class as we typically see with Wisconsin. And if you're a Badger basketball fan, 
be excited. Um, this team has the ability. This team has the potential. And I'm not saying they're going to. And Jesse didn't say they were going to either. But this team has the potential to be playing on the Final Four with Johnny Davis and how actually talented this team is. Eight quad quadrant one victories. That means they have eight uh, wins against teams in quadrant one in college basketball. They're tied for the most with Baylor. This is the Badger team that could, if they get hot, make that run to the final four. And of course, if they don't get hot and they struggle out of the gate, they're a team that could lose in the opening round. But the Badgers have the best player on the court right now in most matchups. And I think this Wisconsin team could go on a run. So that's a, that's my thought there. So moving on, Super Bowl Sunday coming up, Rams versus the Bengals. And, you know, this is a matchup that I've, I've gone back and forth on in my head on what I feel uh, is who I feel is going to win. The, there's just something about the Bengals. Joe Burrow is special. He is intelligent. He doesn't get rattled. He doesn't let things bother him. Yeah, he comes across as a little bit cocky, but what quarterback doesn't? And he's just he's just a leader that could easily rally this team to victory. You also have with the Bengals, Jamal, you have Chase, you have Higgins, you have Boyd, and you have uh, Joe Mixon at running back. Those are offensive talent, talented pieces that can really put a strain on any defense in the NFL, even if your defensive line is as strong and talented as the Rams. The Rams have not faced an offensive talent that they're about to face all season long. And the last time I would say they faced an offense as good as this Bengals offense is right now, the Packers knocked them around. The Bengals can win this game. They definitely can. Now, my concern is, is this Bengals offensive line is very bad. Um, they, they survived against Tennessee with, um, with uh, Burrow getting sacked nine times, and they still won that game. But this is a Rams offense that if Burrow is under that much duress where he's getting sacked nine times, the Rams offense will make you pay. Um, with Matthew Stafford leading the show on offense, um, you got Odell Beckham, who has been quite good since the Rams signed him. Uh, big game against San Francisco in the championship game. You have Cooper Cup, who have put up MVP-type numbers. He'll probably be Offensive Player of the Year this season in the NFL. Um, wide receivers just don't win MVP. Unfortunately, that's just the way it is. Um, you have so Sony Michelle. You have Cam Akers. They're the Rams' offense and a very talented offensive line and a defense for the Bengals that, let's face it, they don't get after the quarterback that well. So if you get Stafford time to throw, he's going to be able to pick you apart. I'm a big believer that games are won and lost in the trenches. And I would like to see Cincinnati win. I would like to see the Bengals get this victory, as I think it's a great story with, uh, with Burrow and company, Zach Taylor, He's likely, if, if the Bengals don't make the playoffs this year, Zach Taylor's likely fired. Um, his first two years in Cincinnati were bad. Um, they were bad enough to get the number one pick where they took Burrow. Burrow gets hurt. They get a top five pick and they take Chase. The Bengals were bad 
Zach Taylor's first two years as head coach of the of the Bengals. So if the if if the Bengals don't make the playoffs this year, the Bengals are likely one of these teams that are looking for a new head football coach. Um, so lots of positive things have happened with Cincinnati with who they have. And it's hard to bet against them, and I would love to see them win. However, like I mentioned, I'm a believer that the game is won and lost in the trenches, and the Rams are more solid on the offensive side with the offensive line, um, and they're more solid on defense with Aaron Donald, Von Miller, um, those got those two, along with their uh, the rest of their their front seven guys. They can make things quite difficult for this Bengals offense, and I think that's what happens. I made this bold prediction uh, when the Bengals made the Super Bowl, I mean, when the uh, Rams made the Super Bowl, that the Rams are going to win and Aaron Donald would be the MVP because Aaron Donald is that much of a a disruption in the interior. And I think he's going to have a a huge game. And I think he's going to get a few uh, few sacks in this game to allow for him to win MVP. I think the Rams win. I think it's a close one, but I think, as I mentioned, the Rams are just better, and I like the Bengals, but like I said, I think the Rams are just the better team, and we're going to see that on Sunday. As I said, the the games are won and lost in the trenches, and the Rams are just better up front. Um, that that's just that's just uh, my my thoughts on that game. So you can tweet at me your thoughts at Evan Witt Sports. Um, other NFL quick um, the coaching um well yeah the coaching uh uh positions have been done um every every team now has their coach chicago bears hired matt epperfliss um he hired him to be their first time head coach um hired a defensive-minded head coach to be the head coach luke getsy is the offensive coordinator and the issue I have with this is I, I think the Bears should have went with an offensive-minded guy. And I know they just had that with Matt Nagy, but I think they should have went offensive offensive coach. And the reason with that is it's all about Justin Fields' development. And I know this regime is not the one that hired Justin Fields. I mean, drafted Justin Fields. This is a new general manager. This is a new uh, new head coach, new coaching staff. But Justin Fields, that's who they drafted in the first round. They're going to try to want to put him in position to be successful. And when you hire a defensive-minded coach, if the Bears have any success offensively with Justin Fields, that offensive coordinator is likely going to be gone because he's going to get a head coaching job. And now you're bringing in a third offensive coordinator in three years for Justin Fields. So if you go with an offensive head coach, you can tie to the quarterback. The off, It's his offense. It's his tutelage. So if the offensive coordinator leaves, it's not that big of a deal. And I think that's the route the Bears should have went. They didn't, unfortunately. So now we see if a defensive-minded head coach can get the job done. The Bears typically go defensive head coach, but I think this time they should have went offense. The Denver Broncos hired Nathaniel Hackett. I don't like the move. I like Nathaniel Hackett. I think he's a great football mind, but I think the Broncos hired Nathaniel Hackett for the wrong reason. I think the Broncos hired Hackett for one reason and one reason only because they believe that he and Aaron Rodgers will be a 
they believe that him and Aaron Rodgers will be a package deal. So you get Nathaniel Hackett, now you're going to get Aaron Rodgers out of it, which to me is very short-sighted because what if you don't get Rodgers? What if Rodgers says, I'm staying in Green Bay, I'm going to renegotiate my contract to help the, the salary cap situation and to help the Packers able to bring in new you know uh, personnel and bring back guys that are going to help us get to that Super Bowl? What if Aaron Rodgers stays? Now what? You don't have a plan in place. Now what if Aaron Rodgers does come to Denver? You're going to have him for a year or two. And then what? It happened with Peyton Manning. Peyton Manning retired. The Broncos did not have a plan. This is a different GM, but it's still the same John Elway that's in charge overall. Uh, Patton just oversees, you know, he's just the, the, the general manager. But what's going to be the plan? What's going to be the long-term plan? And I just, I just don't have trust that Denver is going to get it right. Elway retires. They don't have a plan in place. Jake Plummer played okay for a while. Brian Greasy played okay for a, a hot minute. But at the end of the day, they never had a plan to replace Elway. They struggled until they got Peyton Manning. Um, they won a Super Bowl appearing in two under Peyton Manning, and now they've struggled since Peyton Manning left. They don't have a plan in place for a franchise quarterback, either without Rodgers or after Rodgers leaves. They're going to be in trouble. Lovey Smith gets the job in Houston, and I don't hate Lovey Smith. I don't dislike Lovey Smith. I don't think he was the right fit for the job. Hiring Lovey Smith literally made no sense. You, you get rid of David Culley for Lovey Smith. And I get Lovey Smith has a track record in the NFL where Culley was a first time head coach. But if you're rebuilding, I guess I guess Lovey Smith is a guy that can be a steady hand while guys develop. Um, he's been successful in the past, but his issues, he's never been able to develop a quarterback uh, or get guys around that can develop a quarterback. And I, I just honestly think the game has passed him by. And I think they hired him because they couldn't get who they wanted. They wanted Josh McCowan. And I think the NFL said, no, do not do that. And they decided to go with Lovey Smith. This was a search that was messed up from the start. Brian Flores should have been the hire, in my opinion, even with him suing the league. Brian Flores is a hell of a football coach, and that is who Houston should have hired. Instead, they give the job to Lovey Smith, which doesn't make any sense. Jacksonville hires Doug Peterson. I Doug Peterson did well. In Philadelphia, when he had DeFilippo, um, when he had uh, offensive staff, uh, Frank Wright, who's now in Indianapolis, when he had a good offensive staff around him in Philadelphia, Doug Peterson was great. They were a great team. They, uh, they won the Super Bowl. Things looked great in Philadelphia. As his offensive staff left to take head coaching jobs other places, Philadelphia's offense, and part of that could be Carson Wentz's injuries, but Philadelphia's offense went downhill very quickly, and Doug Peterson gets let go. I don't know what kind of coach Doug Peterson is. When he has a solid staff around him, awesome. But he 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 hasn't shown that he can he could win without a solid offensive staff around him. He didn't he didn't show he could replenish the, the that side of the ball when um, those guys left. So I'm unsure 
on what um, Doug Peterson will be able to do as the head coach at Jacksonville, but I guess it's better than the alternative. But they could have had Brian Lefwich, who would have been a first-time coach, but he wanted Trent Baalke, general manager, out of there. He wanted to have them bring in somebody else who he's worked with in the past out in Arizona. They wanted to have him get brought in for general manager. Trent Baalke is not really that trusted. Um, he was the general manager in San Francisco when Hardball was in San Francisco, and that's part of the reason why Hardball left San Francisco. So that that Jacksonville never gets it right. They just don't. And I'm not going to bet the farm that they're going to get it right this time. They they seem to – last year they went Urban Meyer when they shouldn't have. Before that they went Doug Marone when they shouldn't have. This year they go Doug Peterson. Who knows? May, maybe they're finally going to hit it. You throw crap against the wall enough, eventually something's going to stick, I guess. Uh, the Raiders hiring Josh McDaniels. Um, this is a risky hire. Um, he, he, he flamed out big time in Denver. Um, he, he, he didn't even you know give the Indianapolis coach a chance. He got the job, and he's, peace out, I'm out. Um, so he, he's hard to trust. And... He he. So the nice thing with McDaniel's in in Las Vegas, he's not going to have the personnel power that he had in Denver, um, but he does have a close relationship with the general manager. So I'm sure he's going to have a little bit of say. But he ruffled he ruffled feathers in Denver. He forced out Brandon uh, uh, Jay Cutler. I think with Brandon Marshall ended up leaving soon after. He was hard to work with. He did rebuild his reputation some in New England, ruined it again with Indianapolis, and apparently he built it up again to get another head coaching job. Um, I, I think this is gonna. I think this is gonna end up working out for McDaniel's, but it is a risky hire. I think the Raiders did the right thing, and we'll see what happens in Las Vegas. Um, the Miami Dolphins hired Mike McDaniel. Um, I don't really know what to think about him. And and I know we shouldn't judge guys based off their looks, but he just does not look like an NFL head football coach. Um, he, his, he's, he's extremely intelligent, very bright, but he never called the offense in San Francisco. That was Kyle, Han- Kyle Shanahan's uh, gig. I think Tua could work well in this Shanahan-style offense, but what kind of coach is McDaniel going to be? He, like I said, he doesn't look like a guy that can command the room. And obviously he had to do it in the meeting rooms in San Francisco, but he just, I don't know. You go from Flores who had the team going in the right direction to now you're hiring a first time head coach. who's never caught any plays before bringing back the same defensive coordinator, which is a right move. It'll be interesting to see what happens in Minnesota. Um, SB Nation gave it an A. I personally don't give it an A. And then the Vikings are looking like they're going to hire Kevin O'Connell, Connell, Connell um, from the Rams staff, offensive coordinator for the Rams. Um, this could be a, a Zach Taylor or Matt LaFleur type signing, or it could be not. You know, we'll see. Um, I guess Kirk Cousins has been successful running us offense similar to what Kevin O'Connell is going to run. And you're going to have to figure out how to win with uh, Kirk Cousins if you want to win. 
the issue, I guess the interesting thing with the Vikings is the Vikings are kind of in uh, uh, kind of an odd place. Like they, they have the, they can move the money around to win or not win, but to compete in 2022, but they're going to have tough decisions to make in the next couple years due to the fact that they're going to have a lot of tough salary cap decisions to make. So the Vikings can try to make it one more run for the Super Bowl for the playoffs this year, but then O'Connell is going to be in a rebuild situation, potentially. Rebuild the offense outside of Jefferson and uh, and Devin Cook and rebuild the defense. New Orleans hired Dennis Allen, which is an F to me. He was horrible in, in Oakland when he was the head coach for the Raiders. Um he is not, he hasn't any, he, to me, he hasn't really shown that he's ready to be a coach, be a head coach again. Um, I I don't get that hire. And the Giants hire Darble um, from the Bills, and I think that's a great hire. Um, it'd be interesting to see what he can do with um, Daniel Jones and that Giants offense. The Giants is another team that tends to be a hot mess year after year after year, um, every year. So quick thoughts on that. And then before I do go, I'm um, looking at the time. I don't want to keep you guys much longer. Um, the Bucks I make a trade today. Uh, traded Dante DiVincenzo in a four-team deal where they get um, Sergei Ubaka from the Clippers. And I love the move. I love, I, I, I love the trade for Ubaka. I think he, uh, he gives the Bucks insurance policy in case Brooke Lopez can't play again this season or he takes a, a time to adjust when he does come back in it keeps Giannis and Bobby having to play the five um he adds toughness he adds defense he adds rebounding um his career averages are 12.3 points per game 7.2 rebounds and two blocks per game in 27.8 minutes and he shoots 51 percent from the field I like the trade I like Dante. He, I liked. I liked him. He's a likable guy. He busts his butt on the floor, on the court. There's not a lot to not like about Dante, but I'm not crying over Dante leaving because I like what they got for him. And on top of that, they got two second round picks and they got some cash as well. And they also traded. Um, they also traded Rodney Hood and they also traded uh, uh, one other guy as well. So they now have two open roster spots, technically three, um, with uh, Mamu being a two-way guy and Monroe only on a 10-day contract. So the Bucks have some roster flexibility if they want to explore the buyout market and bring some guys in to help them compete. And uh, Tristan Thomas mentioned this on the show um, when the Bucks, shortly after the Bucks traded for P.J. Tucker that it was a playoff move. That's why they traded for P.J. Tucker. To me, this is the same thing. So don't get freaked out or mad if Ubaka isn't, you know, dominating right out the gate, and the Bucks are kind of slow to get, inter, inter, get him into the into the rotation, the lineup, and that. This is more for the playoff run when you get to the playoffs to try to stay in that one-two seed, get into the playoffs, and now you got some more size and toughness that can help you in the playoffs. And like I said, I love the trade. I asked a question on Twitter earlier, what people thought Rob Trotter at Badger, uh, Gersey surprised and happy. They got another big, a backup big Ubaka going to help a lot. 
Um, Allen, so so I like the Ubaka addition. It matters what they add on with the two empty roster spots. Uh, Giannis Roger Burns, uh, Rog, Giannis Rogers, Bucks fill the biggest needs. Also by dealing Semi and Hood, they erase some of their offseason mistakes and how now have a fresh start with empty roster spots. They will no doubt add a big or add a backup point guard and maybe a forward. Feels like a fresh start. And yeah, you know, semi semi Ojale was supposed to kind of be another PJ Tucker. He's big, athletic, younger version of Tucker. Hide him in the corner, have him shoot up some threes, and that's what he was supposed to be. But with injuries and COVID and just never being able to appear to be comfortable in Milwaukee, Ojale struggled mightily at, in that situation. So with that said. I will thank you all for watching the show. Thank you for listening, and I'll get back at you next.